Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net Tonight's program is really going to be unusual. Uh, As we all know, medical marijuana and marijuana in general uh, as both a cure-all for illnesses and for some people's uh, uh, view of life is now becoming a top issue. One of the things that um, is happening is that in Colorado and other places, a lot of people are making a lot of money off of uh, medical marijuana. Uh, In the interest of full disclosure, I should say that uh, I'm a member of the board of a a nonprofit in New Jersey uh, providing medical marijuana to sick patients. Uh, I'm not in. We we have the most regulated environment in the country, uh, uh, and it's very difficult to get uh, medical marijuana uh, in in my state, but in other states it's easier. Uh, We've asked Paul M. Enright to join us tonight. His company does a very interesting thing. It helps uh, individuals and groups of individuals to enter the medical marijuana business and if uh, if it's legal in the state to sell it to others paul welcome to the program thank you for having me well uh we always start asking before we get into this subject and i have to tell you the uh, switchboard is already lit up with people who are listening in um uh, we should. Uh, we always ask our guests a little bit about their own background before we get into the subject at hand. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Paul. I was impressed by your background. I've uh, spent the last uh, 20 years plus in uh, various industries, all related to uh, publicly traded companies, whether it uh, be uh, uh, mining companies, and, and in fact, I spent some time as CEO of a, of a of a publicly traded company that was in the marine salvage business, but my uh, my, my background is very keen on the ability to uh, to uh, manage and run publicly traded companies. As a 
as a resident of Colorado, several years ago, I uh, started headed, headed down the road of getting into the uh, medical marijuana business. And uh, I, uh, I backed away from it just because I wasn't comfortable with what was going on with the, uh, at the time with the federal government. Uh, and uh, just as things were relaxing and I started to uh, readjust my focus on the business, I received a phone call from uh, some people that uh, suggested that I uh, team up with a group here that is looking to take their company and take the, intele the intellectual property that they uh, control and put it inside of a public company, which in that intellectual property is what it powers uh, River Rock, Colorado, and, and take that intellectual property and proliferate it uh, to other jurisdictions, whether it be in, in Colorado itself or uh, other, you know, some of the other 20-plus states that it, where it's already legal. And, uh, and so we launched uh, the company a couple of months ago. Under the, and in fact, just today, the name change was official. For the, uh, we merged into a, uh, in a uh, very clean uh, public shell corporation. We're now known as United Cannabis Corp., uh, officially as today, trading under the symbol C. Uh, uh, NAB, uh, which is sort of an acronym for cannabinoid, and uh, and so since then uh, we've just been uh, extremely busy. We're, we're getting a lot of attention, a lot of phone calls. We're, you can imagine there's a tremendous number of people that really desire to get in the business. They've got the capital and the desire, but what they don't have is the is the wherewithal or know-how, and uh, that's what we bring to the table. Well, before we go any further, let's make it clear to the audience. Under federal law, uh, the raising and growing and uh, uh, dispensing of marijuana is still illegal. And that whatever you do, you have to un have the uh, understanding that you are basically doing something illegal under federal status, st statutes. And, uh, um, but in certain states, um, Colorado and Oregon being the most wide open, and uh, New Jersey being the most regulated. I think there's uh, seven states now where it, they've uh, um, uh, legalized it within the state. And you can't take it, whatever you, legally, you cannot take whatever you uh, buy or whatever you raise and send it across the state line. Am I right on that? Uh, you're, you're mostly right. Now, for our company, uh, as a company, you know, we have a policy we do not touch the plant. However, we have, we have the entire uh, skill sets and knowledge and know-how and, and have it set up in a system where if we were to team up with a, a group out of, uh, take it, Canada or, or Nevada, we would be able to train them very, very well in order for them to replicate the model that we have in Colorado. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, bringing in, we can help with staffing, bring in uh, people that have been trained under the River Rock system, uh, and or we just call the, the same intellectual property that River Rock is using, and then that and then that person would become a, an employee of our of the of the company that we uh, participate in the manage of. We you know we're a management and consulting company, so we'll bring in all the staffing. We give them everything they need to be a successful company in the space without us as a company actually touching any cannabis products. Well, uh, I realize that, but let, let's uh, before we get to that, uh, continue on that. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, if if, if uh, one of our listeners wanted to get in, into um, uh, raising, and let let's stick with medical mar marijuana because uh, uh, 
the FCC rules, et cetera, uh, prevent me from talking about what is essentially an illegal uh, pro product in most of the states. But let, let's just talk on that level. Um, one of the things that a, um, someone who wants to do it should know, uh, for instance, uh, uh, raising uh, marijuana is not an easy process. Um, what are some of the um, uh, obstacles to raising uh, marijuana? And by the way, there are 800, there are over uh, 800 different varieties of marijuana, and within that, certain certain of those seeds, uh, those strains help one, one set of medical problems and other strains help others. What, do you, uh, what are some of the problems that they face? Can you help us well, with that, Paul? Well, sure. Let's start with the fact that, you know, due to the fact that it's been uh, illegal since the uh, early 1930s, uh, if someone is, has a, a very strong set of skills in growing it, they were likely doing it uh, where it was uh, uh, in a place where it wasn't legal. So you can imagine that there's not a, a, a bunch of master, what I would call people that would be identified as master growers running out there because uh, they didn't, you know, anybody who had the desire maybe not have acted on it because they didn't want to uh, break the law. But there are those that uh, out there that have, uh, uh, you know, been in been in the uh, 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 the um, cultivation of, of cannabis products for many many years. And just like anything, uh, it, it's a skill, and uh, and uh, there's also a field to it. You've you've heard that you know there's some people that have green thumbs, and and there's just some people that don't. And so, Are you, and go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you first. I was going to make a joke. Uh, I was going to say I'm one of those that doesn't have a green thumb. And well, and it, it just it and it and it simply is what it is. So the the um, so you know the and and uh, go ahead. Just re-ask that question for me one more time because I want I want to make sure I give you a good concise answer on that. Well, well the, there are difficulties in uh, raising marijuana. It has to be done in a certain way. Uh, am I right on that point? You're, you're correct. I mean, it, it goes from, and in, in, in most of it uh, to be done properly is done in indoor growing situations because you only want to grow the, fem the female plants, so you don't want to have some outdoor plants where you you're, uh, have the potential for cross-pollination, uh, and you've, you've got the situation where, uh, you have to have controlled, uh, you know, controlled lighting. You want to make sure the lighting is controlled, and so that, that the plant goes through its normal cycles. It's not flowering too early, doing things like that. Nutrients have to be, you know, precisely measured. Uh, you've got to be uh, make sure you're growing extremely strong plants, uh, health-wise, so they're not susceptible to disease. Uh, you know, spider mites, promethium, you know, you know, various things that can uh, negatively affect the, the outcome of the crop. I mean, there's many, it's a lot of small nuances, which is as much feel as it is science. And, uh, and, and a good master grower can walk into a room and just by seeing what's going on, uh, be able to identify, uh, you know, situations where you might not have unhealthy plants or something going on and, and, and take action quickly to be sure that those those plants are you know remain in, in an optimum state of health, 
And there, so that takes a long, well, a relatively long time to be able to, to develop that skill. So this isn't going out and planting seed in your yard and, and putting fertilizing on, on it and, and mowing your lawn. It's, you know, there is absolutely a, uh, you know, a, a science to it, but it's also art as well. Well, that's, that's one thing. I should also point out that in most states, uh, you can't have an employee with a criminal record. Uh, no, the, the, background, uh, the background checks are extremely thorough. Uh, well, I, can, I can attest to that here in New Jersey. But now um, uh, let's, let's move, move forward, forward a, a little bit. Um, uh, one of the things that I was amazed at, but I shouldn't have been because uh, the illegal, is that uh, if properly done, um, marijuana dispensing can be an extremely uh, profitable operation, particularly with the high prices um, now being uh, uh, charged for it. There was a story in today's uh, paper that I read that uh, one advocate uh, saying that if we had more competition, the price would go down. But uh, can you talk a little bit about the uh, financial uh, financials of medical marijuana and marijuana well, in general? Well, well-run operations can be quite profitable, but to also address that, uh, at least half of the uh, uh, dispensing and growing operations in Colorado have gone out of business uh, uh, because they weren't able to be profitable because they didn't have the skill sets to run their businesses properly. So, you know, it, there's uh, there's probably some facilities that do you know under under a million dollars a year with with uh, small grows and dispensaries and and uh, I'm guessing you know there's there's facilities out there. You know, getting close to you know seventy, eighty million dollars a year in, in in gross revenue, and and sometimes perhaps even more. In some jurisdictions where they plan on uh, limiting the number of licenses that are available, I would see that that uh, those numbers could go even higher, uh, uh, just because of uh, the uh, you know supply and demand. Is it one of the more difficult parts of, of this? Is getting that license in New Jersey? There's only six permitted in the entire state. Um, what do you do in a case? Um, what are some of the obstacles, and uh, quite frankly, how do you help? Well, again, you mentioned one of the obstacles. If you've got a criminal background, you're going you're gonna to have difficulties. If you're applying for the license and you, don't, and you can't demonstrate the wherewithal to to uh, be able to take that license and and act upon it by depo you know deploying capital to you know build facilities and and uh, and have enough capital to operate to so your business can uh, you know attract enough customers to remain in business. I mean it, it's just like anything else. I mean you you uh, you've, you've got to be financially prepared to do that. So there's a lot to demonstrate to the regulators before they're going to hand you a license. Well, believe me, I know that. I've talked to some Colorado growers and then some in uh, Oregon, and they all uh, they also they all say, interesting enough, that their biggest difficulty is uh, uh, attracting uh, customers and getting doctors to prescribe uh, medical marijuana. Uh, um, can you make a comment on that at all? Um, I would say that anybody that would uh, go to a doc, there's there's quite a few doctors in in the Colorado area that 
certainly uh, 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 provide licenses uh, to to worthy uh, patients, which they, which is also known as a red card here. Um, and uh, they certainly, you know, they need to demonstrate to the doctor that they, they've got something going on with them that warrants them uh, to get a red card so they can uh, obtain uh, cannabis-based products to, you know, deal with whatever ailment it is that they're trying to deal with, or ailments for that matter. Uh, you know, as an example, uh, there's a, many, many kids uh, that are now, uh, that hold red cards uh, to help them deal with their epilepsy. And there is a mountain of evidence out there, uh, and you can point to uh, Sanjay Gupta's documentary called Weed, where the the, the stories are are uh, is, are fantastic and 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 real and being and being uh, verified by doctors. We've got kids that are suffering from hundreds of epileptic seizures, uh, you know, a week to uh, getting on the meds and and coming down to one or two a day. Uh, or, or sometimes even less. It, it's you know I've, I've met parents that they're just crying tears of joy when they see their kids able to start making eye contact with them. It's 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 amazing stuff. Well, at this point, I'd like to um, put a little a commercial in for uh, a video I just produced, which went up this afternoon at uh, three o'clock and already has uh, uh, over fourteen hundred views. Um, dealing dealing with the, the fact that um, um, with the fact that um, uh, it's actually patients talking about their experiences with it. So um, uh, if, um, if, when I did the documentary, I was absolutely blown away. As was my um, cameraman by uh, how good. Uh, uh, medical marijuana does. If you want to see the video, it's on youtube.com slash marijuana outlook. That's youtube.com slash marijuana outlook. It is a devastating uh, uh, video to watch. Uh, uh, someone already emailed me saying that they were moved to tears. So uh, I was just absolutely uh, floored. I was I, I went on the medical marijuana board, uh, a skeptic, and have become a convert. So um, uh, I, I really believe in it. And that's why I have you on the program, Paul, because um, uh, I want to spread the word. And uh, your company, I think, uh, will really help uh, would-be entrepreneurs. So let's. Uh, um, Having said my commercial, uh, let's talk about you and uh, your company and how you uh, operate. So the, uh, the the success of River Rock Colorado really has it was, was has spawned this, and the uh, the 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 two gentlemen that brought the key intellectual property to to River Rock Colorado, uh, Ernie Ernie Blackman and Tony Vizera, uh, the Ernie brings a a, a, a unbelievably strong skill set uh, of uh, being able to uh, to cultivate the plant and and has uh, trained quite a few uh, people to do so and and by that the products have earned a worldwide reputation of of uh, being extremely effective and with that said uh, uh, Tony very 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 brilliant guy has uh, 
put together something that he named the ACT program, which is uh, 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 advanced uh, cannabinoid, um, I think, uh, therapies is what he's calling that. And with that, it's that program where, where they meet with patients and, and their doctors and then, you know, come up with the, uh, and these are, these are things that are already on the shelf, but the, uh, the cannabis-based products that are, you know, uh, recommended to the patient that they take and to allow whatever ailment is uh, troubling them to, uh, to start, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, subsiding. Uh, you know, these things certainly have not uh, yet gone through FDA testing, while a lot of companies such as ours have, uh, you, know, desire, you know, focuses in that area to go down that direction, as we recently uh, uh, brought on two PhDs that worked out of uh, the universities in Florida, uh, to start on the research uh, and, and developing, identifying uh, certain ailments where that our where our products might be quite useful, and start driving those down towards uh, the, the path to uh, FDA testing. We're certainly not doing any FDA testing now because it's obviously a long process, but we're, we're setting the foundation for that. Um, the uh, in addition, uh, our company then will take our growing techniques and our techniques that we use to create these uh, these uh, 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 medicines, if you will, nutraceutical medicines, however you want to identify them. And uh, and when we enter into a joint venture agreement with somebody, say in Nevada, we'll step in and we'll give them everything they need to be successful. In the, in the cannabis business, and that's from the part of cultivation, from the part of uh, of uh, the making of the medicines, and the marketing of the company. And with that, uh, uh, United Cannabis Corporation also owns several brand names, and the key brand name, actually uh, half a dozen we, that uh, we, we own, and in, in, in one of those is the River Rock name. And so our goal is to also you know, create a national brand under the River Rock name in this space. We've yet to identify really anybody that's in the cult, you know, is an end-to-end provider with a national brand. And so that's part of our goal. But in order to be a national brand, we're going to have to be providing a product and services that uh, you know people are going to walk past other dispensaries to come and uh, to come and uh, uh, obtain. Uh, and and. This is something where you know we're going to be we look to be spreading out throughout North America, uh, that includes the U.S. and Canada, and we've even um, had dialogue with uh, with uh, companies in or potential partners in other jurisdictions outside the United States. So we believe that we will be the first ones to really be that national brand. So someone was interested in. Talking to you or to, uh, learning more about it? Sure, they could uh, reach out. Our uh, our website is unitedcannabis.us. Um, you can go to info. Uh, info. Uh, you can also go to one of our pre- press releases and uh, call the contact number and reach out to us. And uh, thus far, uh, uh, most of our jurisdictions uh, or, or states that we're working in still have uh, room for. Uh, people that wish to enter the business. Uh, it, it, it's certainly something that uh, it's going to require, you know, it's just like any business you go into, you know, people are going to be ready to work and, and, and uh, there's, uh, you know, capital that will be needed to be deployed 
uh, depending on the size of the operation, which could be anywhere from the hundreds of thousands of dollars to you know three, four, five million dollars, depending on the size of the grow facility, whether it's you know ten thousand square feet or two hundred thousand square feet. And so it's, it's and I would recommend it's got to be somebody that really wants to be in the business and plan on being in it for quite a while. Well, let's go back. My next question was going to be, what does it cost to enter a business like this? It, it, it's you know it's really it's really specific to the size of the facility, I, and uh, you know the, the first cost of course would be uh, applying for your license. Uh, you could be looking at somewhere between fifty and sixty thousand uh, dollars. You you need to have uh, skilled counsel that's going to go in there and, and help you get the license and for prep work and and uh, you know in some jurisdictions you might want to consider. Uh, Somebody that's you know going to be working on a, you know, a bit of a lobbying effort for you, um, maybe not. You know, it just it depends on where you you know where you're working. Maybe in a place like Nevada, you're going to have somebody with some uh, you know, get some lawyers that have some really good contacts. If you're in maybe some wider open jurisdictions, it, it, you, that may be a cost that you may not have to bear. Um, but it's safe to say that there's a lot of people buying to get in the business, and uh, and so it's going to you know it takes effort. And some, and some capital, and one of the things that uh, is qu- quite critical is, you know, when you walk in the door and say, okay, we're going to give you a license, you know, what do you know about growing cannabis? And you're going to figure 90% of the people that uh, are asked that question, they're going to say, well, nothing, you know, because it, it's been illegal since the 1930s. So that's where we step in and say, well, we're, we're working with United Cannabis, and they've got the uh, the skills and the reputation and and uh, all the methodologies to make it, to help us be a successful operation. So there's you know there's some components there that all need to be in place, or people won't be able to get into business. Well, let me ask you a question: If half, if so many businesses went out of uh, out um, in in Colorado, uh, has anyone thought of buying uh, the license from them, or is that not possible? Um, the in some instances, licenses are transferable. The, uh, the 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 applicant still would need to go through you know the entire back background check associated with it. In Colorado, as an example, if you want to be part of a dispensary or a grow operation, you're going to have to pass this exact same background check as if you were trying to open up a casino here. So this is this is you know it's it's extremely thorough. And uh, you know you really want to, you know you're going to really want to get in this business, uh, and it's doable. There's lots of people doing it, and lots of people making good money. But you know this is this is you know it, it takes sweat and, and sweat and effort to get this done. Uh, absolutely, uh, I will tell you that I, I'll never worry about being blackmailed again because uh, <laughs> my uh, oh, my life was. True, was Yes, my life was so thoroughly um, uh, investigated back to my uh, high school uh, uh, days. It was amazing what they had on me. Some, a lot of which I had forgotten. So uh, you know, the, that's uh, that is a big hurdle. And of course, uh, having the money is a big hurdle. And uh, there's another issue which uh, people don't realize is that you can't. Uh, uh, deposit your receipts into uh, most banks and finding a bank that will accept the deposits and issue even a credit card 
the ability to accept credit cards is um, uh, really fascinating. I've been talking to people all over the country, and they they view that as their number two problem after uh, um, raising the uh, raising the cannabis itself. Uh, I find, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you uh, first. So just in the last just in the last week here in Colorado, the legislature it was signed off by the governor uh, to allow state banks to to handle you know at least at least uh, in a, in a more legal fashion allow state banks to to uh, uh, handle the funds. Uh, this still has to be approved by the feds. Uh, you know, some people are you know aren't given a, a great chance for the federal government to approve it until it's certainly wait and see. Uh, there are, I think that you know, there's definitely still banks that are handling the capital, uh, but it's you know, it's a very very quiet, uh, you know, a, a situation. If you want, you, and it's probably the biggest secrets in the, in the business are which which state chartered banks are allowing those deposits, and uh, you know, and it's not good to have somebody uh, walking into a bank with uh, with you know, backpack full of uh, full of capital because they weren't able. Uh, to process credit cards and 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 make the banking process safer. So there's, there's you know, there's some very interesting dynamics going on uh, on this, in the whole business, and it, it, especially as you're pointing out here in, in the money side of things, it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a dance. Well, well there's another interesting, uh, uh, um, uh, how should we say, uh, angle to this is that um, the federal government is. Uh, uh, federal and state are, are taking taxes, and, in, and just today in the um, uh, in, uh, in the federal court in uh, uh, in, in D.C., a suit was filed by by uh, uh, an attorney for a dispensary claiming that the federal government had no right to tax uh, uh, the, the profits or the monies of the. Uh, 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 of uh, marijuana growers in states where it's legal, and uh, the court accepted the case. I don't, uh, but uh, I don't think they have much chance of escaping that. We in New Jersey, uh, in, in mind, uh, non non, we're a nonprofit. Still, give thirty percent of every dollar we collect to the federal government in the form of taxes. Uh, that that's another wrinkle that I think is really funny. And interesting. Uh, you know, it's it, 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 it's the um, uh, it, it, it's extremely interesting, and you know, it, it, and you know, it, it's a bit of a mess, really. Uh, and at some point in time, this this all needs to be sorted out in a way uh, to, and, and once it is, uh, the ability to regulate it in, in a uh, in a proper fashion will be will be much easier because. You know, right now it, it's just a, a bit of a, a uh, mishmash of, of 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 you know rules that are applied, and, and some of them are helpful, and some of them are quite harmful, and and uh, the collision of uh, state and local governments, and and uh, you know is you know are they medicines, are they prescriptions, or are they nutraceuticals? I mean, there's a lot of things that need to be worked out here, but I think the first thing we need to do. Is that it, uh, is that cannabis needs to be taken off as a Schedule One uh, narcotic? It's it's you know it's technically it's classified to be uh, uh, more harmful than something like cocaine, which is a Schedule Two. It's it's mind numbing. 
Yeah. Yes, it, it is uh, extremely uh, uh, interesting. Uh, the, the Chinese have an expression, may you live in interesting times. And this is certainly uh, one of them when it comes to this. But uh, the, the other question uh, I have uh, is... Um, uh, obviously, uh, in making a decision to get, go into the business, uh, someone must realize that they are essentially breaking a federal law. And uh, it, no, it depends. No question about it. No question about it. That is something that someone needs to consider. Certainly, guidance has come down from the federal government, but they're, they're going to operate hands off, and and they just want people to follow the rules set forth by the state, which I think is which is a great start. Uh, but at some time, we, we, you know, these policies need to be, you know, you know, hand in hand and cohesive, so everybody's on the same page. Well, um, as someone that just emailed me now, what happens if, uh, uh, in uh, two years, when we have a new president, that president decides to invest uh, to uh, uh, re- require uh, enforcement of the laws? Uh, what's going to happen then? You know what? It will, we, the, the real answer to that question is we'll find out. We'll find out when it happens. Uh, it, but it, the general consensus is that for the polls that I've read and, and, the, and, and the opinions out there, that the majority of the country wants to see it legalized. You know, there's, a, there's for multiple reasons. You've got uh, you know, tens of thousands of, uh, of people sitting in prisons for marijuana-related defenses. Uh, or offenses, excuse me. And uh, I think Colorado's got 10,000 10, sitting in jail right now as a result of it. How much money would the state save if all, if all those people were, were no longer sitting in, in jail? And, you know, it, it, I'm sure it's you know, tens, and, if not hundreds of millions of dollars is costing the state to, uh, to confine and house all those people. And just now, just, you know, now uh, magnify that on a federal level and state by state. Now we're, we're talking about billions of dollars that can be saved. Billions, and uh, and I'm sure a lot of these people were were, were uh, nonviolent offenders and could you know, you know come back and come back into the fold of society and be uh, productive people. Well, we we always hope that. Um, uh, uh, I w- wonder what the uh, various uh, Mexican cartels, etc., are thinking right now. Are they uh, sw- switching their product to? to uh, other drugs, or uh, no one knows the answer to that except maybe the DEA or, or some government agency. But it's again the other the other side of the coin. In the meantime, I, I what I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen as well, is the good that um, medical marijuana does uh, does for uh, the, the people that it can help. Uh, interesting uh, side note, there's uh, two studies out of Israel and one out of France recently, and on, on my video it, uh, was a, an a elderly gentleman who started taking, who, who had uh, end-stage cancer, stage three cancer, I think, and uh, he said that uh, since he started taking the marijuana, the um, cancer cells uh, have actually uh, shrunk the cancer areas, and two studies in Israel show that as well. The French one uh, 
the the results were uh, uh, less uh, uh, clear, but still in, indicative, as they, they said in the study. So um, uh, I don't want uh, and people to, listeners to rush off and say that they heard it, but uh, there is some evidence that that uh, uh, medical uh, marijuana can help in those, those stages in, in, in certain diseases. Your listeners could go as an example to uh, River Rock, Colorado, which I want to make perfectly clear. The only thing that uh, United Cannabis Corporation and River Rock, Colorado share is intellectual property. There's, there's, uh, and some, and and some, and, and Ernie and Tony are are owners of that. But United Cannabis is a separate company from them. There's no shared revenue, nothing like that. If someone were to go to the River Rock, Colorado uh, website and click on the Learn button, and you'll see patient stories there where people are giving uh, you know, uh, unguided testimonials. These are just people speaking from the heart about their experiences with cannabis and what it's done for their health. I think that would be very beneficial for pe- some people to watch the, uh, watch the testimonials and, and hear what those patients have to say about themselves. Uh, I mean, it's pretty, you know, pretty eye-opening uh, you know, testimony from these people. That have, that, 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 are, that have been on it, and how it's how it's made their, in their opinions, of life uh, much much better, and, and, and sometimes you know, they believe that they're alive because of it. Well, we're conducting a st- study in association with uh, three hospitals at the uh, at our dispensary, and uh, where we're taking a reduction in pain and uh, uh, measuring that. We when a patient comes in, they fill out a. a a form, and after three months, we asked them to fill out that form again, and uh, at three three month intervals. And so far, the results have been uh, uh, over ninety percent report some improvement. Uh, it's, uh, it varies, but it's still some improvement. And uh, you, you can't ask for a better testimonial, uh, Paul. Before we let you go. Uh, again, your site? So we're, we're unitedcannabis.us, www.unitedcannabis.us. So you can you can learn about us there and find ways to contact us. Our uh, trading symbol, we trade on the OTCQB, which is uh, uh, CNAB, uh, and, uh, and the official name is United Cannabis Corporation. Okay. So that's, that's CNAB uh, as in Charlie, Nancy, Apple, Bravo. That, that's really good to know. Uh, again, Paul, thank you for go- coming on, and I think we're going to invite Tony to come on sometime in the near future and continue this discussion. I think uh, I think your audience will be fascinated with the insight that, uh, and I don't think I know they'll be fascinated with the insight and, and information that Tony would bring to the table. I just it's uh, it'd be it's, it's, you've got more of the business side for me after you hear from Tony. He'll talk about the medical side and. Uh, Really amazing stuff. Well, that we are a uh, a business site, but I, I couldn't. Re- when I first uh, talked with you uh, yesterday, I just felt that you should be on the program, and I'm so glad you came. Thank well, I'm you. I'm glad you invited me. Uh, we'll talk again. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Thank again, you. I, Thank you, you very much. Uh, if uh, anyone in the audience wants to see the, this video. Um, uh, on medical marijuana and what its effect, it's uh, www.youtube.com 
dot com slash marijuana outlook. Uh, it's a really terrific video, and uh, really thank uh, Paul again for coming. Thank you. My next guest is Nick Fishman. He's vice president of Employee Screen IQ, and he's here today because I ran into an interesting situation a couple of weeks ago. A company called us and said that they had hired an individual from uh, India, uh, and when they brought him over, they discovered that his credentials were all false, but they had spent a great deal of money. And over the last couple of weeks, I found that other companies have faced the same problem. So I went to one of the bigger background screening companies, Employee Screen IQ, and I was lucky enough to get Nick Fishman, vice president of the company, uh, to come on board and, and talk about background screening in general and background when screening when you're talking about someone uh, from overseas. But as we do with every guest, we first ask them to tell us a little bit about themselves. Nick, welcome to the program, and the floor is all yours. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, we've uh, been here at Employee Screen IQ for about 15 years now. Um, serving clients of all sizes, um, primarily mid to large size organizations, over 3,000 of them across the country and around the world. Um, it's been a big passion of mine for years now, and um, I'm happy to join you. Well, Nick, uh, I'm, I'm glad you did because, um, as I say, here's a company that spent thousands of dollar, dollars trying to identify an in engineer that they could bring on board into a highly specialized only to find out when he arrived and after less than three weeks on the job that his credentials were uh, false, or let's put it this way, considerably exaggerated. And he certainly didn't have the knowledge that they had hoped for. So having said that, Nick, what could a small business do to avoid this situation again? Well, the number one thing that they could have done ahead of time is to conduct proper due diligence before they extended the job offer and certainly before they brought the individual over um, from India. Um, and the way that they could go about doing that is to, um, in fact, perform an employment and education verification, um, which would certify the credentials that the candidate has, had represented. Um, the, the, that takes place um, in, in, in a number of different ways. I mean, to, as far as education is concerned, um, the candidate would simply tell you where they got their degree from, and they uh, they would provide you in India. Uh, in uh, they require what's called a seat number. It's the closest thing that we have to a social security number. Um, and once we have that seat number, it would allow us to go ahead and verify um, that they did in fact receive the degree um, that they claim to ha have received from the university that they said that they received it from. As far as employment verifications are concerned, um, the candidate would uh, provide, um, as I'm sure that they did in this case, uh, with uh, their resume and indicate where they have worked um, over the course of their career. Um, and again, performing a simple employment verification where you contact past employers and you ask all types of questions. 
anything from um, uh, providing um, reassurance that the person did in fact work there and attaining their dates of employment, um, and then also, of course, asking what type of uh, responsibilities they had with their job. Um, it, while not as easy to ascertain that information uh, in the United States, where many employers are well-versed uh, and used to this type of request, at a minimum, um, you do get the fact that uh, these people will confirm that uh, the person worked there and what their responsibilities are. Beyond that, sometimes you can get starting and ending salary. Sometimes you can get, uh, sometimes you can get um, an interview with the supervisor um, ab about their performance. Um, but at the very least, you're going to be able to confirm that they actually work there, and that and that should have helped um, in this situation. Uh, very definitely. But do you, for instance, if that company had hired your company, do you have people there that actually go go and do that? Um, uh, do you have people on the ground there to do that? Yeah. So we actually have uh, relationships in 200 different countries. Um, and, it, you know, as far as what types of services are available on a country-to-country -country uh, basis, um, all of them have some type of criminal record component where we have resources in those countries that are searching the best um, source available to, add, uh, to get that information. So sometimes it's a police station, sometimes it's a, um, it's a courthouse, it's a little bit different in every country. As far as the uh, employment verifications are done, um, concerned, um, they can be done in a variety of places. Sometimes they're performed in country. Um, sometimes they're performed by folks that just are, um, are, are experts in that language and know how to reach out. Um, so it varies by country. In India, um, our work is actually done on, um, when I say on site, it's done in country. Well, how how much does a service like this cost for someone uh, overseas? So, you know, the prices will vary for criminal background checks um, just based on a, on a, it's on, done on a country-by-country -country basis. From a verification standpoint, um, you're typically looking at anywhere between $75 and $100 to be able to confirm verification and $75 to $100 um, to be able to confirm past employment. Um, on a per-employer basis. So for a little under $200, they could have uh, saved a lot of heartache. They could have, yeah. Um, you know, again, uh, the education verification is a slam dunk. They would have known right away whether he actually, um, you know, graduated from that school, what his degree was in. As far as the employment verification, um, it could have gone either way. They, you know, perhaps they would have spoken with somebody and they would have just confirmed um, dates of employment, or if they made it, if the individual made it up altogether, um, that they even worked in a specific place, they would have known that as well. You know, it's extraordinary. Uh, I've talked to this company, and the, um, they're fairly sophisticated. But um, in in researching this story, I've come across a lot of other com companies that. Um, uh, didn't realize they could get such verification, particularly overseas. Uh, do you find that common? It, we certainly find it common among small businesses um, that might not have, 
I hate to say sophistication because that makes it seem like small business. They don't, they don't have the wherewithal. It's just that they don't realize that they have the resources available to them to be able to do it. Um, with most large and mid-sized organizations, uh, they, they understand that those resources are available to them. They know how to um, access that information, um, and, and it's become uh, fairly standard. In fact, it, is the, it, it would be abnormal not to do it. Um, with small businesses, they just need to realize that there are resources out there, that they can do it, um, and, and that they should do it. And again, with small businesses, you know, they can't afford to make these types of hiring mistakes. Um, unfortunately, this company that you're talking about probably spent a lot of time and a lot of money um, recruiting this person, bringing them over, putting them to work, only to find out that it didn't work out for them. And, um, you know, you have to certainly feel bad for the situation that they were in. Um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, I'm sure that they've learned a lesson that if they were to do it again, um, that, that there are resources ample out there to uh, be able to uh, help them with their decision. Well, I, uh, I learned from another uh, provider, uh, a screening provider, that in India, uh, when they do a background check, they find that 40% of, of their of, of the resumes they check are uh, less than truthful. Uh, yeah, and that, I, I, our, I apologize for cutting you off. Yeah, what I was going to tell you is that uh, we actually have a 50% discrepancy rate um, between what a candidate reports about their past and what we find when we actually perform the verification work. Um, and that's not necessarily a bunch of people out there lying about their qualifications. Oftentimes it's dates of employment, it's starting and ending salary, um, but every once in a while you will find people that are blatantly lying about their, about their qualifications, and um, that's our job to kind of track those down and highlight those for employers. Well, let's turn it domestically for a little bit. Um, do you, do you, uh, you do a lot of verification domestically. Do you also find that uh, people if, um, uh, expand their resume or uh, I'm trying to think of a nice, polite way of saying uh, that they uh, take liberties? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it, 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 it's, it varies um, by the industry that you're screening for and the country that you're screening in. Um, and so the more sophisticated the country is, the more used uh, to background checks they are, the less you see them um, blatantly lying because they know that employers will do these things. Um, I, I think where you find it more blatantly internationally is when uh, they're not as well versed in background checks and it's not as commonly held of a practice. Um, and so that's where we see you know, the more blatant lies occurring. Well, here in the United States, um uh, obviously, we're more sophisticated, more used to it. Uh, do you still see a, a, a rate of uh, discrepancy? Yeah, and, and 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 I would say that our country is an aberration in that in that example. I think that that the example I provided is really good internationally. Um, in the U.S., people continue to fabricate their resumes, um, whether they're doing it intentionally or whether it's just embellishment here. Um, again, like I said, about 50% of the uh, resume verification work that we do, do we find that somebody has um, 
in some way, shape, or form misrepresented their past, either education or academic uh, or employment qualifications. Even here in the United States? Absolutely, yep. Boy, that astonishes me. Um, yeah, and we, we, uh, we recently did a survey um, of approximately 600 employers across the United States, and we asked um, how often... Uh, when they identify that a person has lied on their resume, how often are they, is the person not getting hired? And uh, the greatest portion of our respondents, um, I don't remember what the actual percentage number was, but they said that 90% of the time they're not hiring the person that's fabricated their resume. So it's not doing anybody all that much good to lie on their resume um, because if they get caught, by and large, they're not getting hired. That, that's really extraordinary. Uh, the, the number, I'm, I'm a little aghast. I would not. Uh, I would think that people in this day and age um, would realize that uh, it's so easy to check on a lot of stuff. Um, it, it, again, one, one thing I love about this program, I, I learned so much from from my guests, um, uh, and thank you. Um, what should a small um, should a small business uh, uh, hire someone like you for all hires? Um, uh, well, uh, let me let me put it this way: um, How much do you charge here in the United States for education and in, and uh, a criminal background? So the the, the numbers vary, and, and and they vary based on. Uh, the amount of background checks that you're performing uh, on behalf of a particular client, and what types of services that they're that, that they're doing. Um, you know, I would tell you that um, you know a criminal background check uh, will cost an employer anywhere uh, from thirty dollars up to about a hundred dollars. It just totally depends on the number of jurisdictions that you're searching, um, and it actually could be less than that as well. You know, so if if folks have only lived in one county, for instance and they've only gone by one name, um, you know, perhaps that background check will cost you $10. Um, but it varies by the number of counties where they've lived because um, if you're doing a background check correctly, you're actually performing an in-person search of the county courthouse where that person lived in each one of the counties that are identified on our address history search. You're also uh, performing that search under each name that they've gone by. Um, because courts most commonly are filing records um, by the person's name that was uh, used at the time that they committed the crime, and uh, most often their date of birth. More and more courts are now removing Social Security numbers from court records. So um, that's the best way to identify whether somebody ha uh, uh, has a criminal record or not. And as far as employment and education verifications are concerned, you know, general rule of thumb is anywhere between you know, maybe nine dollars uh, per employer, up to maybe twelve dollars per employer, um, and and the same uh, you know variability of rates um, for education verifications. Hmm. Well, you know, um, there's been talk about uh, um, banning um, employers from uh, uh, not hiring because someone has a criminal record, which I find extraordinary because I'd hate to hire someone with a criminal record. Um, that hasn't gone uh, that far, as I understand, but it's still something on the horizon. What will happen then? Well, the, all, all of the legislation that's come out now is not a blanket mandate to hire people with criminal records. 
What it is is it's a mandate to say that you don't have a blanket policy to eliminate um, all candidates if you find a criminal record. They want you to basically look at the type of record um, that you found on an applicant, which employers by and large do. Um, they want you to look at the severity of that record. How long ago did it occur? How does it relate to the job that the person um, is applying for? Um, uh, is the person a repeat offender? Um, it, all, all kinds of things like that. And those are things that are fair to do because obviously, let's say that you've got um, uh, you know, somebody that doesn't have any type of driving responsibility, for instance, yet perhaps they were convicted of a DUI 10 years ago. Um, and the, the question is whether that should haunt them for the rest of their lives. Um, you know, if they're applying for a position that requires driving, maybe that's more important than it is um, for a position that doesn't. So, um, so there is no blanket um, mandate out there, nor is there a movement to completely eliminate the use of criminal records and employment decisions. They just want you to use them responsibly. Well, that's good to hear because, uh, again, uh, I, I totally misunderstood uh, what the legislation was going to do, and I'm glad you cleared it up, at least for me and I'm sure for our audience. Um, yeah, sure, and, and that, is a common, that is a common misconception. Um, the, you know, the most um, influential of all of these uh, guidelines, if you will, um, was introduced by the EEOC in 2012. Um, that was the biggest concern, is that em, uh, employers um, feared that that's what that guidance would say. It, it does not say that, um, but it is a misconception. So you're not the only one. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, um, the other thing is that the, uh, the, the governmental agencies are cracking down if you're hiring uh, undocumented aliens. Um, how does one uh, use your service or others to make sure that whoever uh, they're hiring is legally entitled to work in the United States? Sure. So that, uh, what, what you're describing is, um, is the uh, right to work verification. And um, that is uh, a process that is conducted after a person has been hired um, in which uh, the same process that's existed for years is still in effect. The person has to fill out an I-9 form. Um, the good news is these days there are electronic I-9 forms that can be filled out, and it can be automatically um, submitted to the Social Security Administration. Um, and in the case of somebody that is on a visiting work permit um, uh, or, or not a legal resident but has a right to work in this country, it would go to the Department of Homeland Security. Um, and once that information is confirmed and it can be done in a matter of seconds, uh, you have a confirmation that they have a right to work. Um, and so uh, there are um, a number of ways to streamline that, that process um, as opposed to just having somebody fill out an I-9 and it's sitting on the shelf until you're notified that um, uh, somebody is an undocumented worker. Hmm. You know, you've given us a heck of a lot of uh, good information. How can people uh, reach your company and you? Uh, thank you. Yeah, so the uh, uh, best way to reach us is uh, going to our website at www.employeescreen.com. That's E-M-P-L-O-Y-E-E-S-C-R-E-E-N.com. Um, and uh, that's the best way to check us out. 
uh, find out all the resources we have uh, between our blog and our university um, in which we're educating employers out there about how to use background checks, what are the latest uh, trends, what is the latest legislation, um, and how to stay in compliance. Uh, well, what final advice would you give our audience? Uh, uh, almost 59% uh, of our audience are presidents and or um, owners. What advice would you give them? Uh, uh, anyway. What we see, um, the, the advice I would give is what we see among small businesses um, <clears throat> is that they are more trusting of candidates than they probably should be. Um, they don't realize that they have resources and that they should be conducting background checks. So the first step is you need to be conducting background checks on all employees um, that you hire. Um, one, unfortunately, one bad hiring decision can really cost you, uh, whether it's due to criminal activity in the, in the workplace or just it doesn't work out and you have to go back to square one. So uh, step number one is performing the background check. Step number two is making sure that you're an educated buyer. There are a lot of people out there that are offering um, so-called um, background checks for $5 on the Internet where you get your results immediately. Unfortunately, that's not an effective way to determine whether somebody has a criminal record. So make sure you understand what is involved in the search. Um, and, and, and number three, um, make sure that you um, understand what the laws are. You need consent in order to conduct a background check. The applicant has to give you permission to run that background check. Um, and in the event you decide not to hire them, there's a process that you have to follow and, um, and notifications that you have to be able to provide to the applicant if you decide not to hire them. So those are the three main points of advice that I have uh, for your audience. Wow. Thank you, Nick. I really appreciate that you've been on. Uh, I've learned a lot, and I hope our audience is well, and I hope I can invite you back again uh, for another go-round. It would be my pleasure, and I'm happy to do it. Thank you again. And Thank have you. A good Take care. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day. Let's talk about Medi-Cal.
You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 